listening to Connection Church's podcast. Every time that ends, I think it's the phone ringing. It's like, hello, right? Hey, glad you're here today. I'm excited about today, excited about all that God has in store for us. Um, how many of you had a good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving? All right. Keep your hands up if you ate too much at Thanksgiving. You ate over eight as I ate sinners. That's what we are. We ate too much. Um, but anyway, glad you're here and uh, excited about today. We're going to actually be wrapping up the series that all starts with us in which we've been looking at how God, um, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is continuing this movement of, um, that Jesus began. And so um, it, we've been looking at this and, and really we've been going through it in the book of Acts. And last week, Billy talked about the general mission that we see in Acts out of the Great Commission in Matthew. And uh, so we've been looking at this uh, mission. And in fact, the book of Acts could have, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It could have very easily been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, because what we see is God's spirit um, enabling people to go out and do the work of God. And so um, we want to see this continue, right? And God, most importantly, God wants to see this continue as he empowers believers to go out and continue to grow his kingdom. And so um, we're going to continue looking at that today in Acts chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Before we jump in and while you're finding that, I did want to share one thing with you um, because I know for many people, uh, Sunday morning may be the only part of Connection Church is ministry that you get to see. But over the last two months, we've had some very exciting things taking place um, in our youth ministry. We call that uh, youth ministry 212. And in the last two months, we've seen eight teenagers go from death to life as they put their faith in Christ. And I wanted to share that with you because it's awesome, number one. And number two, because I, I want you to understand that um, it, it, God's working not just on Sunday morning, but um, also in this youth ministry. We've seen kids come in who were atheists. We've seen kids who have come in who were agnostic. We've seen kids come in who had been practicing other religions who came to faith in Christ and have begun a faith journey with him. And so for me, that is awesome. Knowing that I have one child there already um, and knowing that I have two more coming, I appreciate um, Cody and Christy and all of our volunteers. If you volunteer in that area, um, and you're pouring the word of God into these teenagers. Um, man, I am excited about that. I'm pumped about that. And I just want you to know what's going on in that area um, because it is it's incredible right now. Some awesome things taking place. Well, last week, as I said, Billy kind of continued the, the looking at the mission of God and really the whole mission of the book of Acts um, by looking at the Great Commission. And that's what we're called to do is go into the world, make disciples of all nations, right? Um, to go out and spread the gospel. Um, before that, Joey preached out of Acts chapter three and he, he talked about this crippled man um, who'd been lame for years and years, um, who was healed by uh, the power of Jesus working through Peter and John. If you remember, this is the, the kind of that famous story where um, the lame man is begging at the temple and Peter and John come along and they say, silver and gold, we, I have none. Peter says this, um, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that is get up and walk. And um, he reaches down, pulls the lame man up, and he begins to go through the streets praising Jesus um, because of what Peter and John have done and what God has done through them. 
And so um, we're going to talk about the very first verse today uh, in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to kind of springboard off of that into some other areas about something that's very, very important for us as a church and as individuals, but as a corporate body, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was thinking about this this week and thinking about how amazing the book of Acts is, um, and the reality of it is, guys, that our lives um, should be just as amazing, and we should be just as awestruck by what God's doing in and through um, this church church, what God's doing in and through our own lives as these early believers were. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so I want us to be uh, people who walk by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what changes people's lives. That's what changes our life. That's what um, allows God's kingdom to continue to grow is the spirit working through us. So let's read the very first verse um, there in Acts chapter three, verse one. If you have your Bibles, we'll be there. If not, it'll be on the screen and then we'll pray and then we'll get going. All right, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. I want you to see that that's what was happening in the book of Acts. These people were walking in the spirit and the power of God and that God calls us today to continue to walk in the spirit and the spirit of God. If when I, here's what I know about church and just people in general. When I say Holy Spirit, um, in this church, there are people who have differing beliefs that go from point A to point Z about who the Spirit is, um, about what He does, and about His role in our lives and in the church. Um, and for some, there's a belief that we just don't really have one because we just so, are so unsure. But today, I really want us to begin to sink our teeth into who the Spirit of God is, because this is what I know. We can't do anything. We can't produce fruit in our lives. We can't produce fruit for the kingdom unless the Spirit of God does it in us and through us. It's just the way it is. We can't do it on our own. One of the things that I take a lot of comfort in in leading this church is I realize I didn't create this church. I can't sustain this church. This is God's church. Um, this is God's house. Our lives, they belong to Him. It's the Spirit of God who works in us. It works through us to produce the fruit of the kingdom. And so for us to take the Spirit of God out would be for us to take the most vital thing um, out of our lives, the, the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk real quick. I want to give you, if you're a note taker, today is your day, right? If you're, if you're like type A, like I want to write down everything and don't you miss a point or I won't be able to sleep at night, this is your day, right? You can take plenty of notes and I want you, I'm going to give you a lot of points. I'm going to give you a lot of sub, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, right? This could be a train wreck or it could be a really good thing. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, the thing I want to tell you first though are some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. And the very first one is this, that the Holy Spirit is not some mystical force, okay? Meaning, meaning this, that the Holy Spirit is not like some, somebody that's just mysterious, right? It's not, he's, he's not somebody that just slips in, gives us a goosebump every now and then and slips out. It's not some mystical force that just comes into our life and, and kind of, you know, the whole um, scary thing, right? But, but many times we think of him that way. So he's not a mystical force. The second thing that he's not is he's not hard to understand. As much as God has revealed himself to us, we can understand the Holy Spirit. But many times we think that the Holy Spirit is just too difficult, too hard to understand. And so rather than embracing it and learning and studying and going after um, God as the Spirit of God, um, asking God to work in our hearts and our lives, we just tend to avoid the topic altogether. But the Holy Spirit, he's not hard to understand. The third one is that he's not an impersonal force. See, we're not, we're not talking about 
on something that's just removed from us, that just stands outside and every now and then interjects himself into our lives. He's not an impersonal force. The fourth one is that he does not force his will in our lives. Sometimes I think what we believe is that the Holy Spirit comes and he just smacks us upside the head and makes us do something, right? But he doesn't put, um, he doesn't force us to do his will, but he will lead us to do his will. So if he's not those things, then who is he? If I were to put it in one word, it's just simply put, he's God, right? God. The Holy Spirit is God. And because he's God, he's not mystical because God's not mystical. Listen, he is a divine person. He's a divine person, a person that we relate to, a person we can talk to, a person who is with us. It's why Jesus was able to say, it's better for me to go away, I will send another. Why Jesus was in one place at one time, and yet the Spirit of God would be in all places, in every believer, so that it is as though Jesus were walking with us through life every day. How awesome um, to think about Jesus walking with us every day of our lives. But that's the point of the Spirit, is that he is not um, some mystical uh, creature. He is a divine person. The second thing is that he's, because he's God, he's not hard to understand. And the reason he's not hard to understand is because God revealed himself in Jesus. And so we know what God is like in his person because he revealed himself to us through Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the express image of God. So you can look at Jesus and know what God is like. Well, the Holy Spirit is part of that Godhead, the Trinity. And so we see in that that that, that we can know who the Holy Spirit is, what he's like, what he does, what he's done by looking at Christ because Jesus tells us what God is like. The third one is that he's not impersonal because God's not impersonal. See, we're not deists who believe that God is, has created everything and just backed away and let it just kind of go its own course. We have a personal God. He offers us a personal relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sin, who, who, who brought us into fellowship with God, reconciled our relationship with God when we turned from him. And it separated ourselves from him. And so he's not impersonal, but he's very personal. All right, the fourth one is this, because he's God, he, is, um, he does not force his will in our lives, but he will begin to lead your life. What he does is he invites us to follow God's will. So he does not force his will in your life because God doesn't force his will in your life, but he will lead you and he will lead you to life. And so we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. If you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you wanna know what God is like, read the word because God reveals himself to us. Many times we act as though somehow we found God, but see, here's the thing. If God did not want to be found, we would have never found him. He has revealed himself to us and he specifically revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. And so we're able to know him simply because of that. Now looking at Acts 3.1, I want us to look at this and. I want you to understand how hugely important this is. And when, excuse me, when we begin to live this life that the Spirit is enabling us to live, it changes everything. It, it brings us to life and it brings life to life. It gives greater meaning, greater purpose to our existence. And I want to give you out of Acts 3.1, real quick, just four things that I see happening in this verse. Um, I feel like this is huge for all of us. The very first one is this. Um, it says, one day Peter and John were going uh, to the temple 
at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, the first thing that I see in this is that when we are following the Spirit of God, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're obedient to the Spirit, what begins to happen is one days are turned into epic days. One days are turned into epic days. See, here's the thing. When they started out, it was just one day. How many of us, we live our lives, and, and we're all guilty of this in some way, we live our lives where it's just one day turns into one day, turns into one day, turns into one day, and then it's Saturday again, and then it's Sunday again, and then we're back to one day again and one day again and it just continues on and on and on and so one days but when we follow the spirit of God one days are turned into epic days how many of you ever ever had any epic days like some really good epic days that just kind of changed everything I've had a lot of good epic days and I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of some epic days like this one right here there's an epic day for you right there look at them two youngsters how about that look at the head on that guy good gracious that was about 25 pounds, you know, heavier right there. It was all hops and barley. That was BC for me. And, uh, and so, you know, but that was an epic day. It was a day that changed my life forever and, and for the better, um, definitely. If you know Susan, you know me, you know it was much for the better for me, right? And so that was an epic day. Here's another epic day in our life. That's Jackson, the little one there. Dake, the, the one holding him and Susan and I. And, and that was an epic day, right? Um, a day that, that changed our lives forever with the birth of our oldest, our middle and our youngest sons. Epic days, days that changed everything. Um, here's the last one. This one was recently, that's me and my smoking hot wife in St. Lucia a couple of weeks ago. Whoop, whoop, you know what I'm saying? It was awesome. Uh, and, and so let me explain that a little bit to you. It was epic because when we went on our honeymoon, it was, our honeymoon took place. It was BC. Um, and, and for me, that was before Christ. And so uh, we went down to Sandals. It was all inclusive. And uh, we were there and having just a good old time. We sat down by the pool and the guy came up and he said, uh, Senor, you want something to drink? Well, I ordered a couple of beverages and found out that everything was indeed inclusive. So I kind of ruined our first honeymoon. So Susan, uh, our, our only honeymoon, but Susan said, you know, you owe me a redo. So St. Lucia was the redo, right? It was our 15th wedding anniversary. And uh, so we got to go down there, but it was an epic time. It was awesome for us. It was a time we needed, um, a time that we were able to just relax um, and just enjoy ourselves, enjoy one another, um, and, and, and really be able to, to just kind of gain some focus again on a lot of things. And it was, it was really, really, really awesome, but it was an epic time for us. It was a huge time, one of the top two trips I've probably ever been on in my life. But see, when Peter and John were going to the temple, this was just one day. It was just a regular day. It was just a day that they went and that um, and they were going to do what they, they always did. But because they were walking in the spirit, because they were walking in the power of God, this one day turned into an epic day that we're still reading about. We're still talking about this crippled man who was healed, this crippled man who, who God had, had done a miracle in. And so this one day turned into an epic day not because Peter and John were all that, but because God was all that in them. And so you see one day becomes an epic day. The second thing you see in this is that they gained confidence to be used by God. I mean, think about this. It says one day Peter and John were going to the temple. Do you remember what Peter and John were doing a few weeks before this? A few couple of months before this? They were fighting over who was the greatest in the kingdom, right? Who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? They were fighting over who was the greatest. Um, they were fighting over um, who was going to be greater in the kingdom of God. 
Not only that, but Peter had denied him three times, even denied Jesus' existence. And these, these are the two guys who were going to the temple. James and John, James, John's brother, he and John had tried to call down basically heavenly napalm on the Samaritans because they disrespected Jesus, right? And yet these are the guys we're talking about. We think about them, we're like St. Peter at the pearly gates. We think about St. Peter. We think about the apostle Peter, right? We think about all this stuff. But the reality of it is these guys were as jacked up as you and I. They had been just as messed up as this crippled man. And yet God used them. And because they were walking in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit had ensured them that God wants to use you even though you aren't perfect. They weren't even perfect after this. And so God begins to use them and it gave them confidence because they were walking in the power of the Spirit. And see, many of us don't allow God to use us because this is what we ask, this is, or even a statement that we make, who am I that God would love me, number one, and who am I that God would ever choose to use me? But shouldn't that have been what Peter and John were asking? But see, they had grabbed hold of the gospel. They understood that God loved them just because he loved them. And many of us say, you know, I, I don't understand why God loves me. And some of us don't understand why God, but God loves you, right? God loves you. He loves us and he loves us simply because he loves us. And so we need to understand that. And when we walk in the power of the spirit, we realize that and we gain confidence that God wants to use us. The third thing I see is that it makes us refuse to do business as usual. It says they were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. This could have easily just been another temple visit, right? Just another time that they go up to the temple, they say their prayers and then they come back, but they refuse to do business as usual. How many of us, we go to church, but it's just showing up at the time of service, right? It's just going through the day, just one day, just going through the day as normal, not looking or expecting it to be an epic day where God does something in our lives or does or uses us to do something in somebody else's lives but they refused to do business as usual it wasn't going to be just another temple visit they came with an expectation that God's going to do something when the spirit of God is residing in us overflowing in our lives and we're connected to Jesus through his very breath the Holy Spirit then we begin to experience this as well God I don't want to settle for business as usual I want an encounter with you the fourth thing is that they, it causes us, when we're walking in the power of the Spirit of God um, and we're walking with Him, it causes us to see every encounter as an opportunity. See, it very easily could have just been another beggar. This is something that was common to set beggars in the path where people would be walking, especially by the temple. Why? Because if I'm walking by a beggar, I can't go in the temple without giving him a little money. What a strategic place for the beggar to be, Right. And so he, he's sitting out there begging, but this wasn't just another beggar to uh, Peter and John. It was an opportunity. And when we walk in the power of the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, following the Spirit, every encounter becomes an opportunity for us to do something for the glory of God. Even at Walmart on Christmas, right? Maybe especially at Walmart on Christmas, because if you can be godly at Walmart on Christmas during the Christmas season, then evidently the Spirit of God's working in you, Right? And so we need to see this. Every encounter is an opportunity. How many millions of people or thousands of people had walked past this beggar and never did anything? But see, the spirit of God is so important in our lives. He works in us. He produces the fruit of God in us. He works in us and then he works through us to go into the world and minister the gospel to people. But see, here's the thing I know. We're called to pour the spirit of God out. We're called to pour out into the world. If anything's being poured out, in order for it to stay full, it has to continue to be filled, right? 
And so here's what I understand is that if we're going to stay full, we have to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 teaches us this. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be controlled by anything else. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Be controlled by Him. But if you look at the Greek, the actual way that sentence is written, it means this. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit flows through us. We're not a dam of the Holy Spirit that just backs up the Holy Spirit in us, fills us, and that's it. We're called to be um, overflowing with the living water of the Holy Spirit into the world. And so the Bible tells us to be being filled. See, the Spirit-filled life, this constant filling, is a life that's empowered by the very breath of Christ. It's the very breath of God that brings us to life and that God then begins to use in us and through us to bring others to life. So here's the thing I would ask you is, how do we then be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we be being filled with the Spirit of God? The first thing I would tell you is that walking in the power of the Spirit, walking in the power of God comes as we walk in obedience to His Spirit as we walk in obedience to his will. And so if you look at the Bible, Jesus tells us this. He says, listen, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And then I will send another. I will send the comforter. He'll be with you. But listen, when we walk in obedience to God, then we um, experience the greater power of Jesus, the greater power of the spirit. That's what Peter and John were doing. They were simply walking in obedience to God. But how many of you ever have a difficult time with obedience? Anybody ever have a difficult time with obedience? Absolutely. And listen, I want to be very clear on one thing. I want you to understand something. This is what I'm not telling you in this. I want you to understand that what I'm telling you is that obedience is evidence of God's love. It's not what we do to earn God's love. Okay, does that make sense? Obedience is what we do that is an evidence of God's love in our lives and our love for God. But it's not what we do to gain God's love. But many of us have a hard time with obedience. Um, my son, my four-year-old son, has a difficult time with obedience sometimes. He turned four last week. Yesterday we were hunting and he, he uh, was gonna have to put on an orange vest. We're about to walk into the woods. And if you've ever been hunting with a four-year-old, oh my gosh, you better be full of the Holy Spirit or bungee cords, one or the other. You gotta have both. Duct tape and bungee cords or the Spirit of God, one or the other. And so um, we went hunting and, and I was giving him an orange vest and he didn't like the orange vest I had, of course for him and, and so granted it did drag the ground but that was the only one I had and so I said here put this on he's like daddy I'm not wearing that well here's the deal if you want to go hunting you're going to wear the vest and he's like I'm not wearing it dad I want that vest that's Jackson's vest you're wearing this vest so we get into this whole thing where he's just being disobedient he doesn't want to listen to me and, and so finally I had to smack him I didn't smack him but I wanted to smack him. just kind of one of those things where you finally just get to that point just like you just want to bust, you know, and explode. And, uh, and so finally, um, I convince him, you're going to wear this, you know. Um, and, and so we finally get going. But I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how, you know, many times we act like that with God. God's trying to lead us somewhere. And, even, and obedience even is difficult when we realize that being obedient to God is the best way for us to live our lives. And here's the thing that I found to be true in my life. If I focus on being obedient, then obedience doesn't seem to happen any more frequently. Because obedience and focusing on obedience really is focusing on the wrong thing. Because what did Jesus say? If you, what, love me, 
you'll obey my commands. But many times we just focus on the obedience and, and focusing on the obedience typically does not lead us to being obedient. How many of you remember in math class when you had to do the greater than or less than or greater than or equal to, less than or equal to things? Y'all remember that? I'm, I'm not a very good mathematician. So what I had to do is learn um, like that when you do it, the, 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 the mouth, you know, you look at it as a mouth and, and the, the big uh, number like always was the one that got eaten, right? Y'all remember that? Yeah, that's how I always had to learn it because I'm a little slow. And, um, and the thing about it though is uh, I wanna give you a little equation that I came up with this week that I think helps us see how we become more obedient people. And the first thing is this, that greater obedience, so greater than, right? Is that right? Greater than, um, greater obedience equals greater power of the spirit. Greater obedience equals greater power of the Spirit. Why? Because greater obedience and walking in the Spirit, um, following the Spirit, following Jesus, um, when we're walking in His will, we experience a greater power in the Spirit. The second one is this, greater love equals greater obedience. If you love me, you'll obey my command. So greater love for God equals greater obedience. That's why First John can say that his commands are not burdensome. Why? Because we love God, we want to obey God. And so we come to this place of recognizing that greater love equals greater obedience. But here's how we love God. And because focusing on just going, oh, I'm going to love God more, typically doesn't work. The way we begin to love God more is by seeing God more clearly. So the last part of this equation is greater clarity of God equals greater love. See, God loves us just because he loves us. But we love God because he's revealed himself to us, because we see him. We love him simply because we see him. Like, it's like when, when the first time I saw Susan, I was like, wow, Right? But even to a greater level than that, the clarity of God is when we see God and we see the gospel. That's why we just want people to get this, to see this, to understand the gospel. Because when we see what God has done, we see who he is, we see what he's like, we love him more. And so greater clarity of God equals greater love. See, we love simply because he loves us, because he revealed his love to us, he revealed himself to us. And so here's how this whole thing should work out is that the greater clarity of God equals a greater love of God equals a greater obedience to God equals greater power in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit works in us. And see, as we begin to see God, we begin to want to follow God. We begin to love God more. We begin to want what God wants. And the Spirit of God's working in us and working through us. And so this clarity of God. So then the question becomes this, how do we gain more clarity? It's not about anything other than how do I how do I know God more how do I see God more and the good thing is remember God's not mystical he's not impersonal he's not trying to hide this from us it's very clear and what I've learned in life is if someone has something that I want I need to look at what they did to get it doesn't that make sense that what how did they get to where they are and so if you look up above, you can begin to see this. We had a guy in the church one time that used to come up to me all the time. He was a little different. And he would come up to me and he would say, I want what you have. But like, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I got my hand on my wallet. I did, and, and, and he was just, just kind of strange enough that I'd be like, uh, like, you want what? And he's like, you know, wife and kids and all that. And I'd be like, you, but you don't want my wife and kids, right? <laughs> no, 
I got a picture of you on my phone though. I'm like, okay, we're crossing a line here, right? And, 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 but he wanted what I have. And I'm like, well, if you want what I kind of, you need to go back and look like, how do you get to this point? Right. Um, and, and so the thing for us is we need to look like, how did, how did Peter and John walk in the spirit? What were they doing before this encounter? And if you look up, it's a section of scripture we've talked about a lot in this church, but it's in Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what they were doing. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, those verses teach us five things that become connection points to Jesus. And I'm gonna show you what those five things are, but then I wanna show you why those things are so important. Because remember, here's what we're trying to get to is a greater clarity of God, to see God more clearly. Those five things that you see in these, this text, in these verses, um, the first one is the word of God, how important it is. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? The word of God. They were teaching the gospel. They were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching all of God's word. The second one is you see the worship that was taking place. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The third one you see is community. There was a great sense of community. They were bound together by the Holy Spirit. They were united around the gospel. That was taking place. The fourth one is generosity. They were being generous with everything that they owned and they were giving um, to God and to others both in and outside the church. Um, the fifth one is serving. They were all serving. They were being serving one another. They were humbling themselves to serve. And see, here's the thing I would tell you is that these are not just five things that you need to go and do. They're not five things to check off your list. Um, they're five ways to connect with Jesus when we do them with the right motive. They're not things that we just have to do to be a good Christian. They're things that we do so that we can encounter the power of God. These are what I would call even a means of grace, a way that we encounter the grace of God again and again and again and they were doing this um, through the word worship community generosity and serving they were a connection points listen they're a way of experiencing God's love not a way to earn it many times we confuse that they're a way to walk in his power not a way to make ourselves worthy of his power it's very easy for us to think that somehow by our merit in doing these things, God somehow puts his favor on us. No, God put his favor on us when he sent his son to die for our sins so that we could experience forgiveness and the resurrection life that Jesus experienced himself. That's when God put his favor on us. But here's why these are connection points with Christ. Because remember, we're wanting to get clarity of God. We're wanting to see God more clearly. Number one is this, Jesus embraced these himself. He embraced them himself. See, we, we are called to be disciples, right? And disciples intentionally pursue Jesus. Disciples intentionally do what Jesus did. Um, when you're a disciple of someone, you do what your master or your mentor or your teacher does. Jesus embraced every one of these. Did Jesus embrace the word? Think about that. Absolutely. He quoted the word constantly in the desert. That's what he used against Satan when Satan came against him. So the word, Jesus embraced it. 
Think about, did Jesus worship? Jesus even took it a step further. He became the sacrifice, right? Typically, during a worship service, there was something that was sacrificed. Well, Jesus became the sacrifice. He embraced this. The third one is community. Did Jesus have community? Yes. With the 12? Yes. With the 72? Yes. But even in a smaller group with Peter, James, and John, he had community. But in, in a bigger way, he had perfect community through the Trinity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he had perfect community. This is something that Jesus embraced. It wasn't something and not something he just tells us to do. This is how we follow him, by doing these things. The fourth one, generosity, was Jesus generous? Absolutely, he gave himself, right? It's kind of that whole story or the the little story I've heard people tell or the example I've heard people tell. It's like, you know, which one's more costly uh, to supply breakfast for like the, the chicken or the pig, right? Which one does it cost more? Like it costs more for the pig to supply breakfast than for the chicken. For the chicken, it's a commitment. For the pig, it's a sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? Jesus gave himself, he gave it all. And so he gave everything he had. He laid it all down for us. And the fifth one, serving. Yes, Jesus served. He laid down his life. He even demonstrated this by washing the disciples' feet and showing us what a servant leader looks like. So the first thing is that Jesus embraced these things himself. The second one is that Jesus inhabits these things. That when we do these things, we're not just doing some remote, some, just some duty, right? Just something that we have to do, but it's actually something that Jesus inhabits, that he is a part of these things. So why the Bible says that the word is living and active. Think about this. The word of God is living and active. Why? Because Jesus became, the, became flesh, right? And dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, when you think about John 1, 1, it talks about how In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. And so we see that. We see that He inhabits the Word. He empowers the Word. The Spirit of God makes the Word living and active. And so when we begin to encounter the Word, we encounter Jesus. And so it begins to give us greater clarity. Worship, Psalm 22, 3 tells us that He inhabits the praises of His people. That literally means, if you look at the Hebrew in that, it literally means that he makes his dwelling in our praises. And so when we worship through prayer, through song, um, through our life, through serving, whatever it might be, we experience his presence. Why? He inhabits the praises of of his people. Community. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three come together, he is there. In other words, when we gather together in his name, not just for a potluck supper, although I'm not against potluck suppers, but we come together and we share in in our experience of God, it becomes exponential in how we encounter God. And so God inhabits those places where we gather in his name, whether it's two or three or 3,000. We're gathered in his name, he is there, so we experience him in that. Fourth one, in generosity. The Bible says in Matthew 25, if you look over there in Matthew chapter 25, what you see is Jesus talking about the end times. And he says this in verse 37. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see, we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you, we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we go, we seek, we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers of mine, you did for me. See, 
Jesus is intimately connected to our generosity. He's intimately connected to that generosity. How about serving? John 13, he washes the disciples' feet when he gets done. He says, I've set this example before you that you should do as I have done. And then he says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed when you do this. What's the blessing of God is the power and the presence and the purpose of God working in our lives. And so what I want you to see in this is these are not just things that we do, but when we do them with the motive of encountering God, not just letting it be one more devotional, not just letting it be one more church service, not just letting it be one more small group, not just coming to it as if it's just one more time to go and serve, but we come to it with an expectation of encountering God, then what begins to happen is we begin to experience who Jesus is again we begin to to begin to to experience the power of his spirit again and so we need to understand these things are ways that we connect with God himself the way we stay filled the way we stay full the way we are being filled constantly and so we come to these things in a different way the third thing I see in this is that Jesus shows himself through them he shows himself through each of these See, the word is God's revelation of himself. So he reveals himself through these. Worship is the magnification of God. It's literally magnifying God with our voice or with our prayer or with our life. And so when we magnify something, what happens? It becomes bigger. We begin to see it more clearly. And so what happens when we see God more clearly? We begin to love him more. What happens when we love God more, we begin to obey him more and we begin to walk in the power of the spirit of God. When we look at community, we experience God exponentially through others. When we begin to look at generosity, we begin to see God's faithfulness when we give to others and how he provides for us and how he works miracles through the little bit even that we were willing to give. And then when we look at serving, we begin to see what Jesus did for us. And so these things bring God into greater clarity. When we embrace what Jesus embraced, when we participate in his presence through these things, ultimately we see him more clearly. And then not only that, but others begin to see him more clearly as well because of the life that God lives through us. Paul said that I no longer live, but Christ is. He says, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, what he's saying is the life that I'm living, this life is lived only because God is living through me. In other words, I'm walking in the spirit. I'm walking in the power of God. I'm following him in obedience. The power of God obviously was working through Paul. And so you see Peter and John coming. This is no longer just one day. It's an epic day in their life. Peter and John had a clear view of God. Were they still learning about God? Yes, we'll spend all eternity and never exhaust the riches of God. But they were seeing him more clearly and the more clearly they saw him, the more they loved him. And the more they loved him, the more they became obedient to him. And the more they became obedient to them, the more the spirit worked in them and God used them for the glory of God and for the building up of his kingdom. And so they come to this crippled man and, and this crippled man um, is begging and people are walking by. And, and, and I had to think about verse six when, when they finally call to this crippled man and they say, look at us. And so the crippled man gives them, gives them his attention and, and he's like, look at us. And they look up and then the first words that Peter and John say are this, silver or gold, I do not have. 
Don't you know that guy was disappointed? Like, dang it. They don't have anything. And yet what did Peter and John give him? What did, he, what did they give him? They gave him something so much better. They gave him a person. See, what they didn't give him was something else to do. They gave him somebody to know. They didn't just give him some, some uh, uh, A plus B equals C. They gave him somebody that he could relate to, somebody that he would know. In fact, when they tell him to get up, listen, this is what he says. They say, what we have or what I have, I give you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Christ of Nazareth, walk. So what did they give him? They gave him a person. So they said, in the name of Jesus. Basically what they're saying is, in everything that he is, everything that he's done, and everything that he does, in his name, you get up and walk. Because the name, Jesus, the name of Jesus is more than something we just tag on to the end of a prayer. It's all that he is. Basically what they were saying is, listen, in the name of the only name, in the name of the only one who offers true hope and true salvation, get up and walk, get up and walk. And see, there was another part. So first of all, they offer him someone. The next thing they gave him was a command. It's in the name of Jesus. And then they said, get up and walk. But here's the awesome thing that I see in this is that Peter looked at him and he didn't just say, get up and walk and turn around and let the guy try to stumble to his feet. He, he looked at him and he reached his hand down and he took his hand and pulled him up. And see, so here's a perfect picture of God's sovereignty and power and our responsibility and how it meshes because God in his sovereignty and his grace knew what he was going to do. He was gonna heal this man. And yet the man still had to reach up his hand and take his hand. And that's the offer that God gives us every single day of our lives. As he says, here it is. Will you simply receive what I'm offering you? Will you simply allow me to bless your life? Will you simply receive me? Will you simply go to, to these five things of the word and worship, community, uh, generosity and serving? Will you simply just, uh, just use the channels that I've given you so that you can encounter me time and time again? Will you just come to me? Will you just allow me to, to, to bless your life? In the name of Jesus, the only source and hope the only true source of salvation, would you take the hand of God? And that's what God offers us all the time, every day. He reaches out his hand and he says, just receive what I'm offering. And many of us are, are like that crippled man. It might be spiritually because we're separated from God. Listen, one sin separates us from God. Deal with Adam and Eve, but Jesus came and died for all sin. So our faith and taking his hand, it begins to reconcile us back to him. And some of us, we need to take his hand. We need to say yes to the invitation of Jesus and receive salvation. For some of us, there's something else in our life that's crippling us, that's keeping us from being able to walk in his power. This, this, this leading us away, leading us astray. Where we have for that and what's needed is repentance, is turning from that and turning back to God. We need to come to that place where we say yes and we take his hand. What is it that's crippling you? It's keeping you from walking in the fullness of God, what God wants you to walk in. Because God's invitation is that he'll take our hand, that he'll lift us up. See, it's what he does. All we do is receive it. 
This is what I want to do this morning as we close this out. I want to pray. I want to pray for you, where you are. But today there's something crippling you. There's something that's hindering you. I'm going to ask you that while I'm praying, while I'm praying, you get up and you come to the front and let us pray for you. We want to just pray with you, pray for you. Nothing would stand between you and God, between what God's calling you to do, to be, between his love for you. Some of us just need to be able to receive that. When I pray, I'm going to ask you to move. Listen, if you've never said yes to Jesus and his relation and a relationship with God through him, then you come and let us celebrate that with you. And let us, let us pray with you and let us help you take your next steps in this faith journey. But right now I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you that when I'm praying, you move. Let us pray with you. If you're here and, you, and when I say amen and you're not coming forward, you can be dismissed. We love you and I hope you have a good week. God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for grace and how you teach us, God who you are as you've revealed yourself to us. God, let us love you more. God, as we see you more clearly, Father, you are good to us and we've done nothing to merit that. Lord, I ask you just to be with us this week and God, let us come to you in your word. Let us worship you. Let us find community, godly community to walk with you. God, let us be generous with all the blessings you've given us and let us serve everyone that, that we come in contact with. God, let us not do business as usual, but let us see every opportunity that you put before us, every encounter as an opportunity, God. And God, I thank you that you turned our one days into epic days as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.